What's up, guys? This is the Be Yourself Podcast, episode number 14, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, uh, for this podcast, we got some stuff to get to. Um, of course, my name is Lord Swank. Uh, this is the Be Yourself Podcast with Lord Swank. I'm your host, of course, and um, you know, every time I'm starting to do these podcasts now, it's, it's getting harder and harder to find topics. Um, I don't know if it's just um, what I'm doing or if I'm not like actively um, subconsciously thinking about certain things I'm consuming and creating topics about it, but I don't know. It's just it's getting harder and harder. I don't know why, but it just depends. It just gets harder and harder to do certain stuff. And um, um get episodes, ideas for episodes. But uh, I've been able to conjure up um, a couple topics we're going to talk about today. And um, yeah, so for my first topic I want to get to is... Um, Actually, the topics for today is going to be my um, favorite lessons. I finished another book, and uh, my favorite lessons from the book uh, shook one. Anxiety playing tricks on me by Charlemagne. I finished that book. Uh, I think yesterday. Um, yeah, yesterday. Pretty, um, pretty good book. Um, if you're dealing with anxiety or some sort of anxiety or think you're dealing with it, then um, that is a good book to to um, read and to sort of familiarize yourself with um, that sort of thing. And of course, it's it's a good book, not only because it's coming from a black man speaking on anxiety and depression and stuff like that, which we don't hear about at all in the black community but uh, he really gets deep into certain topics he has a chapter on uh, fear of a lot of fear of chapters Um, fear of therapy fear of failure fear of uh, parenting paranoia what else um Yeah, those are, for the most part, the fearing and um, paranoia type of uh, chapters. But it all kind of deals around anxiety. Of course, the whole book is about anxiety, and every chapter has its own little stories of anxiety that he um, has gone through throughout the years. And so, um, yeah, talk about that my favorite lessons from the book and I'm going to talk about um, Christmas and consumerism for the most part and um, why I hate holiday season and I I just these last couple years just made me hate Christmas not like the whole idea of Christmas just the whole point of uh, even if you're broke uh, you're, you're 
family members or significant other or whoever is pretty much guilting you into buying gifts even if you don't have the money to. And um, I've kind of been guilted with that these last two years for certain. These last two years I've been guilted into buying gifts. And uh, I'll just give my little experience on that in the last two years. And the last topic I'll uh, talk about is this thing called the MGTOW movement. It's pretty much of, uh, stands for men going their own way. Pretty much what it is, is like men being pretty much fed up with how uh, females have uh, acted and how all the women, well, not all, because they can't always generalize, generalize like that, but most of the women just turn them off or, and, um, a lot of women these days just doesn't don't seem like marriage material or girlfriend material. And um, I don't blame the movement at all because it's just a reaction to uh, the feminist movement that's been spreading like a wildfire in the last couple of years now. And so it's pretty much like a, a reaction to that and men getting tired of women um, kind of pretty much just trying to buck the system and well, not just buck the system, how men are getting fucked as far as relationships and how all the different, um, intricacies and systems and place for, uh, relationships nowadays are pretty much putting men on the back burner so so that movement is pretty much a movement to bypass all that and men are just living lives on their own not with women and and also from the many 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 videos i've watched about the MGTOW movement um it's mostly about men focusing on themselves and improving as men by themselves and growing and uh, developing their own um, self-worth and confidence and, uh, you know, upping their self-esteem, of course, and all types of stuff, just focusing on themselves. Um, it's not always just about women because there are some guys that go MGTOW because of the bad relationships and they just can't couldn't really deal with it anymore or some guys that just always been that way and now there's an actual name for it and so yeah so um talk about that as well pause right here because i really forgot that i needed that charlamagne book to look through it and see my notes so um i'm gonna go grab that real quick i'll be right back all right i'm back so um my first topic i'm gonna get to is the uh christmas and consumerism and shaming all that type of shit so i'm gonna 
read through some of these parts of uh, this article I found on Christmas consumerism. It's called, excuse me, Christmas Consumerism, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly by Christy Eshelman from the values and capitalism dot com from that website and let me read through this real quick consumerism is rampant and it's kind of sad and more than a little ironic that people are rushing out to take advantage of the latest sales right after we spend a day being intentionally thankful for what we already have that was talking about um black friday of course so if i love the market but hate the mentality of consumerism how do i handle black friday and christmas season consumerism black friday is no excuse to condemn the market first thing we need to do is recognize the fact that there are both positives and negatives to the holiday shopping season secondly we must dig down below what we see or how we feel about the season we should be sensitive to what is actually causing the positives and negatives around us. I've already mentioned the positive of Black Friday. That was in a uh, um, paragraph or two ahead of what I started reading. But I ain't, I ain't going back to that shit. Um, in the subsequent mad rush of the market, it's a huge boost to businesses and the economy. Consumers can get the things that they need at any affordable price, and it's a great time for employees looking to make some extra cash or make ends meet for their families. Without mechanism, mechanism, mechanism of the market, without some amount of consumerism, we wouldn't be enjoying any of this and even debating the merits of consumerism. Our society would be far less prosperous. Yes, that's good. People are getting hired in the latter days of the year because of how rampant um, holiday seasons can be and people getting stuff at low prices. Yeah, that's that's good. That's positive. Um, certainly don't want this to be a happy-go-lucky endorsement for the market. However, I just don't like it when my friends are starting to gather outside stores at 5 a.m., day after thanksgiving is saddening to hear about how people disregard each other in an attempt to be first in line to grab something off the shelves yeah that that reminds me of when i was um this was not too yeah this was thanksgiving and um yeah we we hate thanksgiving i don't know what it is about america we just hate we hate thanksgiving so bad we can't even let Black Friday have a day somewhere past fucking Black me on Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, as soon as you eat, people are going out to buy shit. Like, to me, Black Friday starts like around nine, ten o'clock, like on on Thanksgiving. Like, you don't even finish. You can't even finish the Thanksgiving day without giving Black Friday its run. Like, I don't know what it is about America, but I don't know why we just stomp all over Thanksgiving like that. But it is what it is. Uh, but here, but here's where it's 
helpful to remember what is causing these problems. It's not the market's fault. It's the fault of several thousands of individuals who choose to value a few discounts over everything else. With that in mind, I'm going to submit that critiquing or regulating the part market will not solve many problems. Paying close attention to our hearts and our actions will. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Values are necessary for the market system to work. While we want top-down regulation, we can't just blindly follow the lead of the market. After all, economics is to explain human preference. The market makes nearly everything possible. It doesn't make those same things permission. Skip ahead through here. Here's some practices that are helpful for me. Focusing on family and giving thanks on Thanksgiving for me is helpful to move to another room, continuing conversation, avoid being bombarded by commercials. Football enthusiasts of my family turn on the TV. Meanwhile, the football lovers and my family enjoy watching the game together and get don't get distracted by commercials. That's great. Refusing to get up early and wait in line for Black Friday sales, I prefer to shop in suburbs rather than the city because the stores are typically less busy. Giving one, another one, giving one small but meaningful gift to each member of the family and keeping it at that. Setting aside time every day during the holiday season to focus on what I am grateful for and to ponder God's means of redeeming and restoring our world. These habits help me avoid a consumeristic mindset of the holidays but the list will look different for everyone parents sales people managers etc the market is to to remember that the mark the point is to remember that the market isn't the problem with the holidays it's the mindset if we remember our values set our boundaries wisely treat our other people whether they are family members cashiers or people in line at checkout with the dignity and respect they deserve individuals will do more to combat the negative side of christmas consumerism than any condemnation of condemnation of or regulation of the market ever could. Okay, it's a nice little um, uh, article there on Christmas and consumerism, and yeah, it's just like my thing is. That's all great about like, yo, we people are cutting down prices. It's the holiday season. It's time for cheer and whatever. All the sayings that go along with Christmas and stuff like that and Christmas tree and whatever. But it's just like what I hate about it is that even when you don't have the money to really give gifts like that, they make you feel bad. Well, I'm being made to feel bad in my crib. Well, my mom's place. And um, that shit sucks, man. Like, Like last year, I didn't give anybody anything for Christmas. And at the time, I didn't have anything to give, really. I mean, I didn't. So, I just didn't give anything. And so, and then later on, like, my mom talked to me. She was like, there's no excuse for to not get anything. And it is kind of my thing. It's just like, 
if it's not going to be meaningful, why would I give some somebody anything? To be honest, it's just stupid to just give something just to give just because it's Christmas. That's 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 just the thing I think I hate about these holidays is you guilted into giving stuff just because it's a holiday when even if you don't have the cash to spend on shit, you still got to give give somebody something just because. And uh, I just hate it. I just don't like that part. Because nobody should be going in debt just to show somebody how much you love them, you know. Or not even going in debt, just wait. I wouldn't say wasting because it's not wasting money, but if you're spending on somebody that's worth it. But just throwing money down a drain just to um, satisfy people's, I wouldn't say emotions or ego, but satisfy people's need to be feel like satisfy their need to want to be loved or show that they're loved you know all that type of shit and um let me see if i can found another uh article here and um i'll just read through it's another article about christmas and consumerism um, I skipped ahead a couple uh, paragraphs and here it says mass consumption during the holidays has been a growing trend in recent years. We have now come to the, to associate, excuse me, the image of the perfect Christmas tree, not with decoration lights and hope, but with assumption of the piles of presents that we hope lie underneath. Companies have exploited this association to the point where the holiday shopping season has now been stretched to almost two months of frenzied buying. The overwhelming push to spend on money, spend money on seasonal get deals post Thanksgiving begins on Black Friday and continues until the end of December. Every monetary opportunity in every shop front is milked to the last penny for corporations to capitalize on innocent consumers, turn even the most sincere Eulatide spirit into mere profits. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty much a a whole section, whole season of just consumerism right there. From Black Friday all the way till Christmas. And then Uh, I would say New Year's, but New Year's isn't so bad. It's just like, it's a new year. You might get some New Year sales, but um, it's not as rampant as it is around in that dead zone of Black Friday to Christmas. That is probably the most deadliest um, area of the year as far as uh, consumerism goes, as far as like, 12 million deals every freaking day being uh, thrown at you from commercials to uh, ads on the internet, um, YouTube. Well, it's not deals on YouTube. It's other ad. 
um, content. Um, yeah, TV, any, anything that is, uh, stores, all that advertising, um, is pretty much going back to the consumerism of just getting you to pay money to get some shit that you really don't care for that much. And, um, yeah, no, so back to this article. The next paragraph says the conspiracy that no one wants consumers to know is that of obsolescence. Obsolescence. Planned obsolescence is when things are designed to be replaced not longer after purchase. Products we use simply have a much shorter life than they should. A capitalistic capitalist strategy to get people to keep buying or replacing perceived obsolescence. It's another tactic employed through the permeation of advertisements and the media which encourages us to buy the newest version of something despite the old version being perfectly useful for example a shirt sold in september is almost immediately followed by announcements that that particular kind of shirt is no longer worth owning there's a new kind of shirt that is much better to own in this manner there is an infinite amount of waste created as well as a vicious cycle of more and more consumption and it has a little um cartoon comic here and it says in the first block uh oh look yet another tv christmas special next block says how touching to have the meaning of christmas brought to us by coca cola fast food and beer conglomerates third block says Who'd have ever guessed product consumption, popular entertainment, and spirituality would mix so harmoniously? It's a beautiful world, all right. And last one said, Dad doesn't handle the season stress very gracefully. And um, what's being depicted here is like a a dad. He's he walked up on his son in a chair watching TV. And he's pretty much saying this type of stuff. Hmm. That is, that is really crazy to see. I mean, to think about just from this uh, comic kind of getting the, the wheels turning in my mind about like Christmas, uh, sort of is like brought to you by all the other shit um that is not good for us being thrown in our face like the fast food the fucking sodas beer and stuff like that and all types of other stuff that is smushed into all the christmas e stuff and um whether it's a tv special or some type of Christmas event. It's always brought to you by some like. Some. Consumption product that needs to be consumed. It all. That is crazy though. Because. The third block has said. Who had ever. Guessed product consumption. Popular entertainment and spirituality. Would mix so harmoniously. It's a beautiful world alright. And it's true it's like. Who would think that. Um, 
millions of dollars can be put into Christmas by consumers by just adding adding the spiritual element of it's supposed to be like Jesus's day. He's the, this is the day he was born. Uh, so that spirituality kind of comes in and stuff like that. And then you got product consumption because you need gifts to put under the tree and um, all these deals they want you to buy to get certain shit to put under the tree and then popular entertainment as far as uh, Christmas specials they go on TV and uh, it's, it's a whole bunch of Christmas marathons and Christmas this Christmas that on TV we got a Christmas there marathon of movies and shit. So you have enough uh, movies to watch as you're celebrating your Christmas with family. That's cool. But looking at it from a different perspective like that, it's just. It really makes sense why this season is so. Is so um, profitable for the business of many corporations and stuff like that because all those things mix very well to make this huge holiday, um, the pretty much the biggest holiday of the season, to be honest, and um, that's mostly why it mixes spirituality, product consumption, and popular entertainment to make you want to feel like all um joy and cheer for the season and cetera with the Christmas parades and uh different TV uh events specials and stuff that come on on Christmas and you know music comes out with uh people doing Christmas albums and and uh all types of stuff it's just yeah Christmas is definitely the biggest um, consumed holiday of the year by far. Um, yeah, I think by far it's the biggest consumed holiday of the year. I feel like it's that. Then it's Thanksgiving, then uh, Black Friday. Well, Christmas, Black Friday, Thanksgiving. Those are probably top three of like days where it's just like, Somebody is uh, buying something um, for sure. And um, a lot of I'd say a lot of corporations is making money on those three holidays for a fact, especially that's why I say like that whole um, like actually in other article, it said from Black Friday to um, Christmas is that whole span of time is a lot of consumerism being pushed out into the world. And it's crazy to see people go nuts on social media with videos of like people fighting over TVs and shit. People, um, people fighting over TVs. It just, it brings out the animalistic vibe in us all as far as this consumerism thing goes. And it's like, 
who needs a TV that fucking bad to to not only go when everybody is going, but to be the one to fight over a TV and get arrested over a TV. And I just I don't understand it, of course, but I'm on the outside looking in. I'm not I don't have a family. I don't have kids. I don't have. Uh, crazy money to spend on a a TV, so I guess I wouldn't understand, but I probably won't ever understand. I hope I don't. So, yeah. And um, let's see what else this uh, article has to for us. And should uh. Let's go to the go through these last uh, two paragraphs. So, this persuasive new tradition empties the pockets of people rich and poor. <coughs> Excuse me. More fluent people often subconsciously utilize this season as a means of proudly displaying their wealth and falsely quantifying how much a relationship is worth. Ornament is telling the world is a telling word here with bright new Christmassy um, bauble, babbles, I don't know, being purchased fervently each year for this super, oh my freaking God, superficial purposes of ornamentation. The proportion of income spent on holiday gear also tends to be rather different for people of different income levels. People of more humble means usually have no leeway in bu- with buying gifts and extra extravagant celebrations no expense to spar to check off items on a christmas list despite having to make several cutbacks or other expenditure <laughs> while this may sound like like a lot of grinch-esque ne- negativity I truly believe that it is time for us to reclaim the holy spirit and re-examine why we celebrate christmas at all Time to put an end to the era of mindless consumerism, either by eliminating the custom of prodigal gift giving entirely or by trying to adopt modest, sustainable holiday consumption habits. So whether you gift experiences, sentiments, or even DIY presents, remember to look for up from the endless sales and reconsider whether you really need to be fueling this constant profit-hungry corporate machine by buying all those pairs of holiday party shoes. Yeah. And that uh, pretty much describes a lot in this the last portion of the paragraph I read at first. Uh, people of more humble means usually have no leeway for buying gifts and extravagant celebra- celebrations. No expense is barred to check off the items on the Christmas list, despite having to make several cutbacks on other expenditures. And that is me. I am living by humble means. And I'm still guilted into buying gifts. It's fucked up. But it is what it is. I'm going to blow my nose real quick. All right, I'm back. So, yeah, that's pretty much the Christmas uh, topic for today. I just want to get that across because... Um, that's what I hate about the whole holiday thing. It's just being um, 
they pretty much killed uh my joy for Christmas whatsoever and all other holidays to be honest it's just the whole point of half you have to buy something or you're gonna make other people feel bad just because uh they can't afford to buy you anything and people paint it to be this thing where if you don't buy you don't love the person or whatever and uh they help they pretty much bring out the whole santa thing to even ramp it up more for the kids and all and and then they it was supposed to be about jesus and his birth but they put him on a back burner and they just use him when they need him and plus santa is a better figure than jesus i guess for the whole mainstream world and for everybody to consume because not everybody is christian so it makes sense but um yeah I did, that's what i don't like either um Hold up, I think I found another article. Seems pretty uh seems pretty uh cool. It says Christmas consumerism kills me. Let's see. Um it says here, so now I'm down for the celebration. I used to kind of hate on the holiday season though. I feel like I had a pretty valid reason. That still stands up to the scrutiny. And that is the fact that I see people literally go into debt to show their loved ones how much they care. Now, I'm not blaming those people. I blame the Christmas industrial complex. <laughs> Christmas industrial complex. That's funny. That basically makes everyone feel that no matter how much money they make, they have to buy all the latest Apple gadgets, video game systems. HD televisions and new cars or else their family won't think they're important. Such BS. It's gross. It's way too capitalistic. It does nothing for anyone except for these huge corporations who, believe me, don't give a crap about true meaning of the holiday spirit. Christmas and any holiday we celebrate should be about spending time together with family and loved ones and creating precious memories, not being about seeing who can spend the most money. My son gets a lot of gifts, normally two from us, plus a ton of gifts from his abuelos and TTs and TOs. And of course, this is from, um, I think this is from hiplatina.com. So, of course, there's a Hispanic um, person that is talking about this. And uh, let's see, where was I at? Some of our closest friends also bring him gifts because we host a Christmas Eve dinner. So, yeah, he's drowning in it. But we do is try to spend spread out the gifts over the entire season from Christmas Eve through three king days. That is not so crazy. Frenzy of ripped wrapping paper. So much stuff. He doesn't even know what to do. I also love asking for experiences as presents for him. Stuff things we've gotten swim classes, music classes, soccer classes as gifts for him. He loves that as much as he loves having cool new toys. Next year, I'll probably request a ticket back to the East Coast. It's a present for him so he can visit all his family in the wintertime. 
the point is, it gets a little insane. The pressure to spend, spend, spend in the long lines and the bum rushing of doors. The day after Thanksgiving is just too much. Here in the U.S., we just have to take a step back. Remember that holiday season about how much money you spend, how much time you spend together. But how much time you spend together. Yeah. Uh, and that's why she makes the she probably made the most sense out of every person that I've uh, read from the articles that I've read today in this episode and um yeah it's like the whole point is to make memories and shit spend time with the family but not about going into debt trying to do the shit and um she brought up another point christmas eve dinners so i remember going this brings up another story so i remember going to uh christmas eve a christmas eve dinner that uh a friend of my mom's i think she used to work with her and uh we went to her christmas eve dinner and uh i think i was in middle school no i was in i was in that area of Mm, I think I was in either eighth grade or I was just becoming a freshman. I think. Yeah, I was either. Yeah, I was a freshman. I think. I think I was a freshman or eighth grade. I can't remember. But now my wheels are turning, trying to get into us into the story. I'm starting to. My memory is starting to come back to me about certain stuff that happened there. So, okay, so we go to this Christmas Eve dinner. Um, it's pretty far at the time because we we stay in Suffolk, so it was in Hampton, if I'm not mistaken. That's where she lives, either Hampton or Newport News, and um, it's pretty far. She lives in a nice suburban neighborhood. Um, pretty sure both, um. Husband and wife make good money, so yeah, they live in a nice suburban neighborhood. Um, so we get there and um, I meet the the wife. I think I met the husband too as well. Um, and this is the thing about like Christmas Eve dinners and stuff like this, especially having them going to one that is not like your family you're pretty much like a guest there's about for me at that time i was super shy kid super shy so um these parties they're pretty much separated by adults and everybody else and i was everybody else which is a part of the kids whether high school or my around my age. Of course, I was just in high school, but from high school to middle or whoever else was there, I can't remember exactly. But I do remember sitting at 
this table in their like dining room or whatever. And um, yeah, this is what it was. It was like it was sectioned off. It was the grown up grown ups like people my mom's age and uh, her group and my mom's friend group and her husband and all those people. It was in a different part of the um, house, another like dining area or living room, whatever. Then it was like a table where I was at that I ate at. And this is the thing about Christmas Eve dinners. Some of them like this one, I guess, was kind of like a bougie one because it didn't really have food food. It had like like, you know, finger foods type shit. And I was kind of like looking to like eat eat like I wasn't looking to come get some fucking meatballs and uh deviled eggs and shit like that I was trying to eat eat but past that so um um I was at a table with a whole bunch of other kids around my age I guess um I think about like five four to five people including me at the table and um uh, besides hello and goodbye we we <laughs> we didn't talk to each other to, to be honest unless somebody uh had said something to me then I responded of course because I'm I'm polite like that but I'm not like outwardly like talking to people and at the time I wasn't I wasn't confident enough to even carry a conversation with a stranger anyway. So, um, and then there's another room that's like pretty much cause I'm sitting at the head of the table and, and behind me was another room where I guess it was a, like a living room area, uh, right where the door is to go out the front door is. And that was, that room was kind of filled up with, people that were in their 20s to like 30s you know and that their college age or just out of college age or uh, grad school age you know so it was some people in that room over there and um that was probably one of the most weirdest christmas places christmas eve dinners or whatever i ever went to because I was by myself, just on my phone for most of the time. And um, we was there for at least like an hour, maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And so after I ate, I was pretty much bored and I was just on my phone for the rest of the time. And as a kid, those moments are some of the longest moments in history. When you're just sitting there trying to twiddle your thumbs, trying to figure out what to do. Thank God it was for we had cell phones at the time because I wasn't talking to these people. So, um, yeah, that was that's just something that was weird. Not weird, but it jogged my memory going back to when this lady said uh, Christmas Eve dinner. So that jogged my memory about that. And the guy, the husband of uh, my mom's friend or a co-worker. Uh, she, no, he, my fault, he was trying to get me to go into RTC at the time, and I didn't want to do that, 
But eventually I just said, you know what, fuck it, I'll do it. And yeah, so this had to be like, now that I think about it, this had to be like eighth grade. I didn't, it wasn't, it was before, wait, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. Because if it's Christmas time, it had to be halfway through the year already, so. Or at least second nine weeks. I don't know. My head's kind of jumbled up with timelines exactly, but I knew that he was trying to get me into ROTC. And I did do it my first year in high school, so I don't know how that lined up. I don't know if I... That was eighth grade and and that was the Christmas before my freshman year or what? Um I mean the year before my freshman year or what, but uh yeah. I remember that guy he was trying to get me into going to ROTC. I don't know, I can't remember if he was like military or not, or if his kids were in ROTC or if he just like Oh, I I think I know what it was. I think he was in an instructor, an RTC instructor at one of the schools or whatever, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was like that, to be honest. I think he was an RTC instructor. And plus, that would make more sense anyway. Yeah, but anyways, off that, um, this Christmas topic, that's my whole point about it. It's just like, I don't like the whole... I have to spend money on this shit because it's Christmas and go broke just to do it. So uh, another thing I want to talk about is the MGTOW movement. And um, I've been watching copious amounts of freaking videos about MGTOW because with me, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty curious guy. So, uh, when I find some random shit on YouTube or whatever, it's uh, it's pretty much if I if I'm curious about a topic, I'll continue to do more like research on it for no apparent reason. I don't know why I do it. It's just what I do, and um, so uh, the definition of MGTOW, uh. This is from the Urban Dictionary. It says, men going their own way is a statement of self-ownership where the modern man preserves and protects his own sovereignty. Above all else, it is the manifestation of one word, no. Ejecting silly preconceptions and cultural definitions of what a man is, looking to no one else for social cues, refusing to bow, serve, and kneel for the opportunity to be treated like a disposable utility. And living according to his own best interests in a world which would rather he didn't. This is an example. Um, Guy's parents ask, are you going to get married, buy a house, and start a family? Guy answers, no, I'm MGTOW. And um, there's other definitions up here too it's pretty much saying all saying the same thing though 
in their own little way, different way. Um, let's see what other definitions they say up here. Uh, let's see. Um, acronym for men going their own way. These are men that are that give corrupt divorce courts in the middle finger by. <laughs> By not getting married, thus never getting screwed over. Traditionalist men tend to make fun of them. Up until the day their ex-wife steals his heart and his money, then Big Tao gets get the last laugh. Divorce guys, this is an example. Divorce guy, dude, my ex-wife stole my house, so I'm homeless. Big Tao, dude, you should have either gone foreign or Big Tao, man. Hmm, foreign. Maybe it's talking about, I don't know. I was thinking maybe it was talking about getting a, a foreign woman, but I think that would be even worse because bringing a foreign woman from um, another country is definitely going to put you more behind eight ball because she came here with nothing. She has no job. She has no back, you know, financial, anything, no, no money. She'll probably suck you more dry than a person that's already here and making something. But anyways, um, the movement is pretty rampant. I see it a lot on YouTube and uh, I've <laughs> I saw this one um, video. Um, it's called the MGTOW compilation and it has like I think it's on 13 episodes now. Just it's pretty much like different um scenes from movies and tv and uh internet videos that come on uh that randomly are woven into this uh compilation of of videos on MGTOW like people either showing MGTOW tendencies on tv and movies or and um videos or um looking at certain people that should go MGTOW or, oh, look at this simp or whoever. And it's pretty funny. It was, These episodes are pretty hilarious. It's like 13 of them. And I watched them pretty much all yesterday. And uh, most of them had me crying in tears. And these these compilations are, are hilarious. And uh, I've even subscribed to watch even more when they come out. Cause I watched all of them already. And so, um, yeah, this whole MGTOW movement thing is just, uh, it's really to fight back against, um, the whole thing of marriage and, uh, monogamous relationships and, um, why men become a doormat to women and stuff like that for the most part. Because if you think about it, um, women do market market themselves as the prize. Uh, the guy should be lucky to have her. You know, um, he should go from mountain to mountain and climb and go through trees and shit and bounce all over the place to make her happy by this, by that. And the woman is never satisfied, of course. So she'll take this to the highest point as it can get. And then 
um, until you put your foot down and say, yo, uh, I'm tired of like giving you out money, doing this, that and the other. And you give only this in return. So um, I guess what that's what these guys are pretty much doing. Um, I see it from afar and I'm just uh, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I wouldn't understand why these people go MGTOW just so they could avoid all the pitfalls that uh, traditional men go through, whether it's divorce, uh, child support, alimony, um, somehow having to pay a lifestyle for a woman's lifestyle, um, all sorts of shit. And, um, I completely don't blame them. And because the divorce rate now is 50%, and I think it's probably 60. Um, if I recently heard, I think I recently heard something about it's around 60% now. So it's only going to rise higher and higher because people are just marrying just because they want to be married and um, not really knowing what they're getting into because marriage isn't something you just hop into and get in a roller coaster and just say, ooh, let's let's do this. Like to me, marriage is like uh, it's like getting in a roller coaster ride with um, no seat belt. And uh, and uh, you pretty much have to fend for your own safety and hopefully you make it at the end of the ride. OK, without any bruises or burns or money falling out your pocket or your phone falling out your pocket and every other thing that you came with in the first place on the ride and uh. Yeah, I think that sums up pretty much uh, how I feel about marriage. It's like a roller coaster. It's like getting on a roller. To me, I I don't. I'm 21. I don't. I'm not in a marriage or anything like that. But I'm saying from the outside looking in, looks like a. It's like getting on a roller. To me, it looks like getting on a roller coaster ride with no, no, no harness, no, no safety belt, no type of protection. While you're in a ride, bumping and bruising through um, twists and turns and curves and going upside down and all that shit, you gotta you gotta create your own safety belt. You gotta find a way to hold on because it, it's all great at the beginning when you're riding up to the top. You get into the top, and then all of a sudden, you get to the top, you go straight freaking down. You're going all these twists and turns, da 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 da, da. and um, before you know it, you you don't have your your sunshades, you don't have your wallet, you don't have your keys, you don't have your your phone. Somehow your freaking shoe fell off, and you get off the ride and you're just like, "Fuck, where did all my shit go?" Yeah, but um. Uh, let's see here. I'm on Wikipedia. I don't care if it's Wikipedia, but uh, let's see here. So, um, men's right movement. MGTOW differs from the men's right movement in that while the men's rights 
movement aims at changing the status quo, such as by changing the laws, MGTOW called for focus on self-ownership and withdrawing from interactions with women. Mac Limerick states that while at first glance it's easy to lump MGTOW in with typical men's rights activists who also believe that female oppression is a myth and that it's actually males who are oppressed. But that's not the case. The two groups differ significantly while MRAs are out to fix the problem through action and activism. Members of MGTOW hold self-preservation above all else. Because of this, the majority of the community seems to have decided to bow out. Um, let's see. Disagreements with other groups. MGTOW sees feminists as social justice warriors while the LGBT rights movement and support for safe spaces are seen as obstacles to male self-ownership. MGTOW has, have been described as having a serious problem with feminism. MGTOW have a reciprocal disdain for the pickup artists. The MGTOW movement has been criticized by the pickup artist PUA for being cult-like, antithetical to human nature and likened to separate, separatist feminism. Matt Forney from Return of Kings, a pickup artist's website, calls MGTOW a creeping cult of male loserdom. Um, hmm. That is another section of a sort of movement of men, pickup artists. I mean, I've seen many pickup artist videos. They're pretty hilarious, and uh, I don't know how true all these encounters are that I watch, but, um, some of them look genuine, but then again, this is like, a lot of them don't. And I don't think most of the shit that they do. I mean, some of the shit that they do, of course, is going to get you laid, but trying to find a relationship, of course not. Cause they don't really train you for, they're not really giving you keys to relationships. They're giving you the keys to getting into somebody's pants and um i'm pretty sure that's cool and all but uh if you're trying to make a relationship that's that's not gonna help and um i understand the pua movement of like uh pump and dump and trying to have uh sex with of course a lot of women but um i don't know if pickup artists is the way to go to be honest, because it's pretty much just like trial and error and whatever works, works. And it's a sort of a, a, a sort of a, like a dance. You're pretty much going off the flow of the music and going off the flow of her and her vibe and um, kind of like creating multiple um, interactions with women. And just kind of like tallying up what works and what doesn't work and uh, picking up girls and doing it multiple amounts of time. And um, I mean, from the outside looking in, it's like, that's cool if I was in high school. But once you get older, it's just like, why are you trying to pick up copious amounts of women like that? And uh, I don't know. And um, there's... It's like so many different forms of uh of men out there in different categories from what all the different videos that I've watched 
from there's people that are blue pilled, which is basically like um, the traditional man of like he wants he wants a girlfriend, he wants to have two point five kids, a house, whole nine yards, get married, all that shit. Um, just a traditional man. Uh, red pill is pretty much like um, is aware of um, female nature and knows that if he if he loses job or he starts doing the like if he starts declining as like being attractive and so and so then uh, if he keeps working longer hours and keeping away and way and away from her for a longer periods of time grind himself out 100 days 100 hours a week 80 hours 60 hours a week trying to make her happy she's ultimately going to um leave and find somebody of a better caliber or um or just find somebody else in general and red pill men are aware of that uh it's sort of like a rage as for as far as like people that have been blue pilled to where they've done all the the flowers and texting back and forth and phone calls conversations on a daily and going out to see people a couple times a week and all that type of shit and hanging out a lot that's a lot of blue pill like activity where you're you look needy and, and desperate and uh, big eyed around women or around whoever you're, you're uh, dealing with. And red pill is as far as like some what like rage along with like being aware of like how women, the nature of women and their tendencies and not just uh, going after uh women to going after women and noticing what uh, they are capable of when times get hard and when times get shaky and they know their nature and so they either deal with it or they are more cautious than the blue pill guy who's just going in um, shooting darts in, in the dark and just hoping that he he comes up with these great ideas. So, yeah. And um, then you have the MGTOW movement, what I just explained already. So, and um, yeah, pickup artists, of course. And uh, yeah, these are all different sections of areas of how men usually go about things. And um, I think there's like a purple pill as well. I can't remember exactly what that signifies exactly. Um, I think it's like, of course, a mix of both where, um, I guess it's, uh, let me see, uh, the purple pill. This is Urban Dictionary. The purple pill is a state of consciousness between red and the blue pill. 
The red pill symbolizes a view of unapologetic truth leading to a rejection of social societal norms. And the blue pills symbolizes a view of ignorant bliss towards societal norms. Therefore, the purple pill is a view to be fully aware of truth, but to attempt to navigate social norms anyway is most frequently used within the context of relationships with women among PUA, MGTOW, MRA communities, all colors, a reference to the movie The Matrix. For example, my friend Bob can't be red pill because he was already married when he found out about MGTOW, taking the purple pill until he can get divorced. So essentially, yeah, it's a mixture of both. And, um, yeah, pretty much red pill aware for a variety of insecurities had decided to temper the uncomfortable truths of that awareness with their previous blue pill hopes. Hmm, the black pill. Black pill <laughs> believes in a more nihilistic concept that the red pill doesn't agree with. They believe that reality is rigged and that some people are destined to fail no matter what they do. They also oppose a lot of red pill teachings as offerings false hope to these people destined to fail. So I guess there's some more cynical um, side of it. But yeah, but I was watching... I've been watching this one guy uh, who's pretty much given dating advice. I don't even know why I'm watching because I'm not actively trying to date at all. But his videos are pr very like informative and he gives a lot of knowledge and um, and he's kind of hilarious to um, to be honest. He's pretty hilarious, dude. Um. Yeah, so that's it for like the MGTOW movement topic or whatever. That's just something I've been on for a minute, just looking at their uh content on the internet is pretty hilarious. And um some of the advice that these guys give out is pretty um not hilarious. Um of course it is, but not all of it is hilarious. It gives out a really good um on perspective of how um, other people feel that aren't just like doing the traditional route of like um, getting a family, having a 2.5 kids to house and et cetera, et cetera. So that's uh, that's good to know um, that uh, just to have that perspective, you know. So, yeah. And um. To be honest, I think that uh, I take all this stuff and kind of create my own uh, view on like women and human nature, women's nature, and uh, take it all with a grain of salt. And I'm pretty aware of like, because I've, these videos have me going deeper and deeper on certain topics on why certain why women do certain stuff and why they act a certain way and um, what leads them to do X, Y, and Z. And um, it goes deeper into like divorce. Why is divorce so prevalent? Is marriage even like 
relevant nowadays, not relevant, but even um, profitable for the man and et cetera, et cetera, and getting deeper into that and just going on different wormholes on YouTube about certain things is pretty informative. I think like YouTube is probably, um, it's been more entertaining in the last five years than TV has ever been in a while. So um, that's why I stay on the internet. Um, I don't really watch TV whatsoever. I don't think I've watched TV like actively like sat down to watch TV in a long time. I might have like watched TV just catching it while someone else is watching TV or I walk into a room, turn TV on and watch it uh, for a little bit before I turn on the video, my um, Xbox to play 2K or whatever. But other than that, then not really watching TV at all. And um, I feel better because of it, too, to be honest. All right, so my last topic for today is going to be my favorite lessons from the Charlemagne book. I know one of them I already talked about last episode, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe the episode before was like um, the whole point of your actions control. No, your emotions control your thoughts. Your thoughts control your uh, shit. Um. Let me see if I can get back into it. Your emotions control your behaviors. Your behaviors control your... um, Oh, emotions control your thoughts. Your thoughts control your behavior. Your behavior control your actions. Your actions control your life. Yeah, I fucked it up. But uh, that's how um, that went. And um, that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest lessons, probably at least top three lessons I got from this book. And um, pretty much just going through it now, I pretty much marked on whatever page that I uh, thought was important. And um, I'll try to find whichever one that was just going through this book. Okay. I marked on this page. Let's see what exactly I thought was important here. Let me see. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay. Like uh this is a chapter not a chapter. Um this is from chapter two. So anxious. Um it says this portion the portion that I liked of course it says um like most young people I could get very anxious about fitting in. Having a seat at the cool table, especially in middle school, I was very confused about my social standing. I was never hanging out. I was hanging out with a bunch of white kids, but I could never tell how they really felt about me. We seemed cool at school, but I would never get invited over to hang out or to their birthday parties. And um, I feel the same exact way. Um, I wouldn't say I was hanging out with a bunch of white kids, but um, when I was hanging out with people, I never really got invited to do certain stuff at all so um yeah i mean i don't think about it. i had a friend that um that stayed when i was in elementary school i don't know if he went to school with me to be honest yeah he did this kid named ethan 
He's a white kid. I was cool with him. I don't know if he was in the same class or not. I think so. But uh, he lived like maybe he he didn't live too far from me. He was like maybe a neighborhood over or so neighborhood down the road. And um, I hung out with him one day and um, that day was pretty hilarious. Um, Pretty much goes to show how white kids. um, (laughs) They could just do anything. And it's crazy because uh, Ethan, I think we were, we was elementary school. I can't remember how old I was or what grade I was in. Maybe third or fourth grade. I don't remember. But uh, me and Ethan was hanging out in his room, right? And um, uh, I think his mom ordered a pizza and we was eating pizza on the floor in his room. And uh, his little brother freaking... I don't remember what we was doing at the time. I think he was playing video games or something, playing with toys or whatever. And his little brother comes in the room and he's eating pizza with us, with us, of course. And he, out of nowhere, pees on the floor. And to not be mistaken, I think he peed on the pizza, on a slice of pizza he had that he didn't finish eating. I was like, wow, these, these kids are running rampant, man. But uh, it just goes to show you that, like, I don't know. I guess the suburban kids get away with a lot of shit, I guess. I think he got reprimanded for for that shit. But uh, that shit was just crazy because any regular functioning kid is not doing no shit like that. <laughs> so, I don't know. But, yeah, that's kind of my little story about that about like being anxious around kids and trying to be at a cool table um I got more weary weary about that later on in high school because as you get older of course you start getting more confident about who you are as well you hope so and um I was and I was getting more comfortable with who I am and being the awkward, quiet kid. So I just kind of like play in those parameters. And so I was being, I was able to be more confident about uh, who I was and where I was at on the social scale of like popular, not popular. I was sort of like, of course, not popular, but I was sort of cool with some people that were, I guess. I don't know, but, um, yeah, as a kid, it's, it's hard as far as that sort of thing, because you don't know, really know if your friends are truly your friends just because of, yeah, you're cool at school, but they don't ask you to go out and do certain shit outside of school, so, yeah, um, another thing I got here is, um, another point and this goes into the point where he was talking about he's talking about um, masculinity and so it says here uh, these days you can call me pussy at the top of your lungs and I wouldn't even flinch 
I don't care anymore when it comes to my masculinity. You know what masculine, you know what's masculine. Masculine is taking care of your mind, your body, and your soul. We spend so much time on our body. We want that six pack. We got to have big biceps. We take all sorts of pills when we start losing our hair. But what about our mental health? What about our emotional well-being? I go to the gym three, four times a week. Why can't I put that same effort and same energy into getting mentally strong? That makes me pussy. Then I'm going to stay pussy for the rest of my life. And so I thought that was pretty powerful because, uh, yeah, we, we get this whole thing confused about like what being masculine is and, and, um, most people think being masculine is being the, um, the uh, big chest and big arms and you look like a fucking gorilla and you walk like a gorilla and you just, you ming mug people or whatever people think alpha males or, or, um, masculine men do. And, um, it's not, that's not always the case. I mean, cause just cause you have big muscles don't mean you masculine. I mean, it's, it's gay people in the NFL. These are the biggest specimens, human beings in the freaking world, to be honest, some of the strongest as well. So it's just like, that doesn't mean anything. Um, and it goes to another point about like these people, of course, being thinking that being huge is like being masculine, but like not taking care of everything else that goes on with the body, not just your um, physical as far as um, being masculine is good to have that, but uh, your mind and um, your soul has to be there too, along with just your body. So uh, what else we got here? Um, this is probably a top three um, thing I love about this book as well. Or well, one of the quotes, one of the quotes um, says here, F-E-A-R is an um, acronym. Fear, uh, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. That is a quote from James Baldwin in this chapter. And um, this continues to say, that tweet caused me a lot of stress and the tweet he was talking about is about how um, the tweet about like Tommy Loren um, having a sort of platform and he wishing black people would have that sort of platform or something like that. Something he misconstrued saying and he got he gave himself donkey today for it. It's pretty much talking about that situation in this book. So that is the backstory behind that tweet. So um the great, uh, let me see, let me just start over. That tweet caused me a lot of stress, but I do not, do I regret it? Not even a little bit. The great radio personality in my homie, K Fox, once told me you have to look at fear, F-E-A-R, as having two meanings. Forget everything and run or face everything and rise. As K explained it, that means when a situation makes you anxious, don't run from it or make excuses. Instead, your best recourse is always to face it head on, confront any insecurities that might have been behind your actions and then try to fix them. Once you have dust yourself off, continue to rise in your journey. And I thought that was pretty powerful. 
um, because um, fear is like fear is it can be a motivator and it can be a great hindrance to growth and so like fear is one of those things we have to get a hold on in life because if you don't then you're going to be stuck wherever you are and just stuck there and never going anywhere else because you're fearful of what could happen or what um could damage you so yeah fear is a pretty powerful thing to um get a hold on because if you don't then it could lead you to a path of just um bad shit or just negative um just a path of negative habits and bad habits and a cycle of bad shit just um continuing until you leave this earth so uh yeah I like that fear everything face everything and rise or forget everything and run because it kind of puts the the fear in sort of a flight or flight mode fight or flight mode where are you gonna um face it head on or are you just gonna run away and and hide and face it that way so i thought that was pretty powerful as well and uh let me see let me see if I can get a last one in here. I want to get one from the fear of failure, the last chapter, because that was probably one of the best chapters, to be honest. Uh, they hit me the hardest. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, we can go two more. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. A lot of people who have a fear of failure make things worse by constantly downplaying themselves. They're so worried about failing that they try to lower expectations through self-deprecating comments. They have a big test coming up. They'll tell their friends, this teacher is so hard. I know I'm going to fail. And um, let me backtrack a little bit up and it says, oh, that's what I was supposed to read. Something about Kanye. He mentioned Kanye here. Um, This is from the interview he had with Kanye that went out on YouTube before the Ye album dropped. He's pretty much saying, um, this is quoted from Kanye, you got to stay brave. You have to follow your gut feeling. He told me. I've got to follow my gut when I have that fear. I say I have to be you, you know, brave. I have to be, you know, brave. That's it. We are going to feel fear. We just have to be feel have to be brave and face it head on. When we do that, it's called having faith. With that, we can get past anything. And I thought that was pretty powerful because um as long as you have faith and that's why having a higher power in your life is so important because um, sometimes your fear of failure um, can't push you past certain points and just believing and a higher power can. So I thought that was pretty dope.
Uh, see if I can get one more in here. So this is uh, this is from Dr. Ish, and he pretty much gives a clinical correlation on every chapter in the book. So after Charlemagne um, has his chapter in in the book, uh, Dr. Ish uh, pretty much I guess this this um either psychiatrist or um, um, counselor or whoever therapist um, gives their clinical correlation to what's what he explains in a chapter and it's different stuff he's talking about in a chapter so uh, for the last one of feel failure uh, let's see let's see uh This is pretty powerful. So don't let fear mobilize you. Instead, let it motivate you. Les Brown talked extensively about feeling that f- the fear and doing it anyway. The trick is to simply notice the fear, be aware that it's present, and don't try to stop it. Just push right past it with action. When we talk about having a fear of failure, this technique works exceedingly well because it can push you to work harder and longer than anyone else in your field because you're definitely afraid of not achieving and you don't want to see what that looks like a healthy fear of failure can be your best friend because it can help you achieve high levels of success what's key here is all to is to allow it to push you towards success but not make you miserable in the process fear will only get you so far ultimately it's your purpose that will pull you the rest of the way home and um, i thought that was pretty powerful because um i think we all go through uh, fear of failure whether it's on a smaller scale of like dealing with uh, work related issues or um, maybe activities of sort of sort and then you have uh, Jesus Christ freaking bottle my bottle fell on this plate but uh yeah so um there's people like me that's uh, on my creative stuff and um, having to feel failure and making music and stuff like that is really big because when we put the music out, it's, it's not it's not about us anymore. It's about the people. And so um, and as far as music goes, it's it, artists get criticized a lot more about um, their shortcomings or their fears of failure um, because of people that come out with bad albums or bad mixtapes or bad whatever, bad projects and then um, that fear of failure can set in again when doing the next coming single or whatever put out because the last thing didn't work out so well and so I deal with s- s- certain stuff like that as well because of uh, me making music, I don't know exactly who's going to like it. So when I put it out, I don't really know if it's going to be received well, but I just put it out anyway. And I overcome my fear of failure by doing shit like that. Just like doing the music and then whoever likes it, likes it. And whoever doesn't, doesn't. And just keep it pushing. And so that's why I really 
like about this book, it really talks about like, um, it really gets deep into the fears and, um, stuff that he goes through as far as anxiety, of course, and depression, um, stuff, stuff he does to, uh, to keep himself grounded as far as like, um, affirmations and routines and stuff like that. And it's only seven chapters and it's only about 200, just under 200 pages, not just under 200, just under 300 pages, 230 ish. If you don't count, like if you, if you don't count the acknowledgements, uh, yeah, about 250-ish pages in this book. So it's pretty short. It's an easy read. And um, uh, it's a good book. Get into the mind of a person with anxiety from the black community who talks about it as as uh, as real as he does. It's pretty powerful. So, um, yeah, that's the podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, check me out on... Um, ig for any updates on any music any other stuff related to me um lord.swank check out my youtube channel it's growing pretty fast um got like at least like 20 30 new subscribers in the last week or so so that's freaking awesome and um check me out up there lord.swank um check out my website lordswank.com um you can get my music um, from Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, my Bandcamp, um, YouTube as well. Uh, this podcast is up there as well. It's on the, um, can't remember what page it was on, but yeah, it's, on, it's up there. And um, you can go to my beat site if you want beats or know somebody that wants beats, uh, track train dot com backslash lord swank that's trk train.com backslash lord swank and um i hope you'll have a good week a good christmas and uh see you later peace